Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to move to a couple of other places today. Uh, the title of this message is, What's the Big Deal About the Resurrection? Uh, Resurrection Sunday is, is being remembered today for Easter is the day, and we are uh, excited about Easter, but oftentimes we kind of get... Uh, confused about what's really the big deal about this thing called the resurrection. You have your notes with me. I'm going to cover the first point from Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and that is that believing the resurrection is necessary for salvation. Look at Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So in, in particular, verse 9, where it says, there's something you've got to confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and then you must believe in your heart, what you must believe, that God raised him from the dead. Well, that makes resurrection pretty important, doesn't it? Uh, listen to several messages on Easter this week and about the resurrection and most of them Ronnie I would say 98% of what you'll find preached on the resurrection on Sunday is trying to prove that the re resurrection is real trying to prove that Jesus actually uh, rose from the grave and uh, I'm not going to spend any time on that because I believe that there's something that happens through the work of God's Spirit when He's drawing you to salvation, where He presents to you this reality that Jesus is Lord. It says that's what you've got to confess. Jesus as Lord. You must confess Him as Lord. And then to confess Him as Lord, you must believe that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. That's what you must believe if you're going to be saved. And that's not a matter of you know, we could spend hours here going through Scripture and talking about eyewitnesses and talking about uh, history and things that happened, trying to prove to you that this resurrection is real, that Jesus actually is alive and he got up from the grave three days after he died on the cross. And that's, that is very important. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verse 17 through 19, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, everybody who's died that you know that's died, they've perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men to be most pitied. And so he's saying if Jesus is not risen, this whole thing we're calling salvation, it's not even important. It's not even a big deal at all. But if Jesus is risen, if he is alive today, then that's something you've got to believe in your heart in order to be saved. Uh, I heard an old countryman one time, a uh, countryman from the outskirts of Lewisburg, he was going to describe what it meant to be saved. He's going to say, this is what salvation is like. And he just started by saying, I'm not a very smart man. Don't know a lot of scripture, don't know a lot of things, but I know this about salvation. If you've got it, you know it. And if you don't know if you've got it, you don't have it. 
It's that simple. And it's the same way with the resurrection. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. It's on the screen here. It says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. In other words, something happens where your understanding is awakened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Notice here he's comparing the power of God. He's saying the power that worked in us to cause us to believe is the same power that worked in Jesus that caused him to rise from the grave. You say, John, how am I supposed to believe in this resurrection if you're not going to spend all those hours proving it to me? It's this simple. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave and caused him to come alive from the dead is the same power that's going to work in you to convince you that that resurrection is real, that you need Jesus as your Lord, and you will be compressed or impressed of God to call on Him and say, Lord Jesus, save me, because you're sure He's alive, as sure as you are of anything else. Your eyes, look at that, your eyes of your understanding are open, they're enlightened. In other words, it's like saying this, one minute, one minute you don't believe, and the next thing you know, you do. One Sunday you came to church and you say, what is all this stuff they're talking about? I don't even know what he's talking about. And then the next Sunday you come to church and you're like, yes, this is real. I need this. I need this in my life. And you find yourself praying and calling out to God and asking God to do something in you. It's like saying this, Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. The same power that was exerted in the resurrection, that power exerted on Jesus is the same power of God that's going to be exerted on you so that you can be saved. To the same extent that God's power was poured out on Jesus to say, get up from the grave, to that extent, God's power is going to be poured out on you to cause you to believe in the resurrection so that you can be saved. You need God's power, His resurrection power, to come upon you to change you. If you know you, you know what I'm saying is true. It's going to take a miracle. If you know yourself and you're aware of who you really are at the core of your darkness, you know it's going to take a miracle. What's a miracle? It is the power of God doing something that ordinary human beings cannot do. It's going to take a miracle of God. It's going to take the resurrection power of God to heal you. The resurrection power of God to forgive you. The resurrection power of God to make you righteous when you're so wicked. The resurrection power of God to give you peace when you're so distraught and, and worrisome. And so, believing the resurrection is necessary for salvation. Now turn with your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're going to spend the most of our time here. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Uh, the next point in your notes is that baptism is the illustration. We'll start in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And King James, I love the King James here. It says, God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. So baptism is the illustration. That's our next point. We see it in verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death, therefore we are buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should be raised. And so this baptismal illustration is an outward display of what God's done inwardly in your heart and in your life. It's a testimony. It's a story being told. It's why it's exciting to go to baptisms. It's why some people cry at baptisms. It's why some people shout at baptisms. It's why it's the first thing that God asks you to do after you're saved is be baptized. Because it is a display of what has literally happened inside of you. You died with Jesus, and the way Jesus was buried, you go under the water. It's a picture of the burial. And the way Jesus arose from the grave, you come out of the water, and you have a newness of life. And so, baptism is the illustration of this salvation. Number three, there is a newness of life. You see this in verse 4, when you were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There is a newness of life that comes from this resurrection. Before resurrection, we know about the disciples of Jesus, the, the apostles of Jesus. Before the resurrection, they were scared. And they were defeated. If you remember the passage in John chapter 20, verse 19 and 20. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when their doors were shut, and, and literally it means locked, their doors were locked, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And then later in John chapter 20, verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came the first time. So the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of his nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. Literally, it means again here. They had the doors locked. Inside, and Thomas with them, Jesus came, and the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger in here and look at my hands, and reach your hand in here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas went from no belief to full belief in a moment of seconds. When he put his finger in the holes in Jesus' hands where the nails had been, he put his hand in the hole in Jesus' side where the spear had been placed, and then he cries out at the end of that, My Lord and my God. Notice this drastic change in these disciples. Before they knew Jesus was alive, they're locked in a room, hiding, it said in verse 19, for fear of the Jews. 
They're scared, squeamish, feeble, locked in a room, quitters. I mean, I can go on and on. But after the resurrection, when they see Jesus, and now they know Jesus is alive, they come forth as men and women with a newness of life. It's why we need not allow uh, people of the church to get so downtrodden. It's why we need not allow people of the church to, to get so negative, so wayward. I mean, I can go on and on. So critical. Because there's a transition that happens once you know Jesus is alive. There is a newness of life that takes place. And by the way, that's what the community is looking for in the church. They're looking for this newness of life. Is there a difference in us and them? Is there a different hope in us and them? Is there a different lifestyle in us and them? And after the resurrection of Jesus, there is something fabulous that happens with these disciples. And the difference with them now is they know Jesus is alive. That's the difference. They have this newness of life now because they know Jesus is alive and Jesus is there with them. I remember when I was a young man before I got saved, I, I don't know how old I was. I was probably about seven or eight years old. We would go to my, my grandmother's house. We called her Granny Pauline. We'd go to Granny's house, and she had a long driveway down through the woods, lots of huge trees on both sides of the woods. And it was really dark down that long driveway. And one time uh, I was sent by her to think to go to her mailbox or something. And I'm, I'm confessing to you very openly, I, I was scared of the dark, dark as a young boy. Yeah, it's true. Don't make fun of me. I was scared of the dark, and uh, my cousins used to always say the boogeyman lived down that driveway. I didn't know what the boogeyman was, but they said he lived down that driveway. And I remember walking down that driveway and getting about halfway, and it was really dark, and I was scared to death. I really was. I think I was crying. I, I know I was just feeling this fear that I'd never known before in my life because I thought the boogeyman was going to get me. <laughs> And I was in real danger in my own heart and in my own mind. And if you believe it, it's real. It has a power in your life that's like no other. And about the time I thought I wasn't going to make it anymore, my dad was at the beginning of the driveway near the house. And he shouted my name. He said, John. And I looked back and I could see him in the shadows. And I said, Daddy, is that you? And I was probably about 100 yards away from him. And he said, yes. And the moment I knew that was him, I had perfect peace. No fear. Wasn't scared any longer. This is exactly what happened to the disciples. They were scared with the door locked, thinking the Jews are going to get them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there, and they know that Jesus is alive. And moments before, they were so scared, so timid, not knowing what they were going to do with their lives. And now Jesus is alive, and everything is different. In Mark chapter 16, verse 7, when Jesus is going to appear to his disciples, he tells, the, he tells the ones there, he says, But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. In other words, he's, he's predicting this is where you're going to see him. And he says, Go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going to be in Galilee. Go wait there, and you'll get to see Jesus. It's like saying, Lighthouse Church, go wait out there right behind Remington Grill in this afternoon, and you're going to see Jesus. But he does something very important there. He says, and Peter. You see that part? Why does he say, and Peter? Because 
Peter had just betrayed Jesus the worst. The most. He just denied him three times, like God had predicted, and the rooster had crowed. If there was anybody in the whole group that would be the most beaten down, the most discouraged, feeling the most unworthy, feeling the most useless, God will never use me again in his kingdom. God's never going to do anything with my life. My life is not important now. It would have been Peter. And so he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Go get Peter too. And, and this is where you're going to go, and this is where you're going to see Jesus. This is a picture of the grace of God. The lowest one, the dirtiest one, the darkest one, the most despicable one, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, his resurrection life is capable of raising the lowest of low up to where he is, even Peter, the least of them. You know what Peter does after this? After he knows Jesus is with him, he goes on to be the preacher at Pentecost. At this great day when over 3,000 people are saved, he declares these words at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He says, Jesus is the one delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by them. Peter is now preaching about Jesus who he had just days before denied in front of three different people. This is the power of the resurrection in your life. There is a newness of life that happens. Where men, you become a different man. Ladies, you become a different woman. Fathers, you become a different father. Husbands become different husbands. How? There's a newness of life that happens in you when you experience the resurrection power of God. He changes you and everything becomes new. You say, how does it become new? It's simple. It becomes new because the day before you weren't sure God was with you, and now you know God is. The day before you wasn't sure Jesus was for you, and now you know Jesus is. You were not sure the day before that God was going to help you be the man you need to be in your marriage, and now you're sure that God's going to help you be the man you need to be in your marriage. You were not sure days before that God was going to do these things for you, and now you're fully confident. It is as if you were like... Luke or Thomas and you've actually touched the holes in his hands and the hole in his side and you're certain now Jesus is alive and because of that there is a newness of life that takes place inside of you number four the likeness of his resurrection we see this in verse five for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death certainly we also will be in the likeness of his resurrection and so there was something that happened when you died and you got saved. You were in the likeness of his death. But he says in verse 5, then certainly, in other words, for sure, you'll be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, the same way Jesus rose and now has life, you will rise and one day have life. It has to do with being alive forever. I have scriptures just to back this up in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so even you, as, as wretched as you may have been, the same way Jesus rose from the dead, you will rise from the dead. 
The same way that you died in Adam and you became sinful, and that's something you didn't choose, but it just happened to you. That's the same way that you'll one day rise from the dead. It's not something you choose to do. God's just going to do it to you. You will be in the likeness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God will give you life like he gave him life. You catch that in verse 20. It says he is the first fruits of those who fall asleep. That terminology means he's like the first one to grow out of the ground and get up from the dead, but there's going to be many more to follow, and that is you and I. It's the promise of life, this likeness of resurrection. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John chapter 6, verse 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John chapter 10, verse 28, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. In 1 John 2, 25, And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. And so there is this likeness of his resurrection in that God has <coughs> promised, and he says it over and over, you are going to live forever. And this eternal life is also found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus only. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life where? In Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so there is this likeness of his resurrection in that through Jesus Christ, one day you'll die. We'll have a grave for you. There'll be a casket for you. People may or may not weep for you. I don't know. Hopefully. But just as sure as we're looking at your body in a casket, God Almighty will be looking at you in heaven. And you'll be alive. It's a transition from here to another place, from, from one condition to another condition. It's, it's called in verse 5 the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, the same way Jesus died and then Three days later, he had life. You will die one day, but it won't take three days. In an instant, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you will have life. And you'll be alive again to live forevermore in the presence of God if you've been saved through Jesus Christ. And five, you will no longer be slaves of sin. Through resurrection power, you are no longer slaves of sin. Verse 6 and 7. We're still in Romans chapter 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So you're no longer, verse 6, you're no longer slaves of sin. We died in Jesus Christ, but sin didn't die. You died. Sin didn't die. Sin was not removed from this world when you died and got saved, but 
Sin was dethroned from your life when you died and got saved. Sin is still there. Sin still chases you and taunts you and wants you and tempts you. But sin's not in charge. Sin's not on the throne. Jesus is. And you're no longer a slave to that sin. I, uh, I was praying this week, Brad, I was, uh, we were going to have, have communion today. I, I decided against it, but I was studying the comparisons between communion and the resurrection, and there's many of them. One of the things I learned about communion uh, in studying all that is that in the communion plate, you know, along with the bread and the cup and all those things, did you know this? There was also a, a bitter herb on the plate that they would eat. They would pick up this bitter herb and eat it, and it would cause a sour taste in their mouth, bitterness. And it was to remind them of their slavery in Egypt. It was to help them remember what it was like to be a slave, to be beaten and have to work for somebody else and have no freedom and have no choices and to be a slave in Egypt year after year, day after day. They eat this bitter herb to remember the slavery. They're, they're not slaves now, but they're to remember that they once were slaves. And you still war with sin. You, you war with it every day. If you say you don't, you're a liar. And you're warring with it right now. You just lied to me. You war with it every day. It's there on the, uh, on the cuspus of your decision making. It's, it's tempting you. It's drawing you. It's, it's lingering around you. It's everywhere you look some days. That sin is not there to reintroduce you to slavery of sin. That power that sin once had to make you its slave and own you and put chains on you and control you, the slavery power of sin is defeated in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was bad and that's the reason we still see it, and it's a war, and that's the reason you still remember it, but you are no longer a slave to sin. Look back at Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, King James, God forbid. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Go back to verse 7, for he has who has died, has been freed from sin. You are now freed from sin. You're not a slave of sin anymore. Freed does not mean you'll never sin again. You hear me? All the preachers won't preach that. They're scared of it. Freed does not mean you'll never sin again. Freed means sin will never own you again. Sin will never lock chains around you again. It means you do not serve sin any longer. Now you serve Jesus. You've been set free. You are no longer compelled to be the servant of sin. So stop serving it if you're serving it. Sin's power now only has power when you give it power. So stop giving it power. Because of the resurrection, you're no longer slaves of sin. Number six, we live with him. Look at verse eight, in Romans chapter six, verse eight. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We live with him. 
It's, it's talking about after your death, when you go on to be with the Lord, that you will live forever. We looked at that. You will live forever through Jesus Christ, but that is to be desired. We could say it this way. Death is to be desired. Did you know that? Death is to be desired. Why is death to be desired? Because when you die, you get to live with Jesus. We are not very astute on this truth in our modern American churches. Death is to be desired. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He says, if I live, Christ will get honor. If I die, that's gain. Look at the next verse, verse 23. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Notice the word desire. He says, I desire to go on and die and live with Jesus. I'm hard-pressed. I can't decide what I want to do. Do I want to stay around? Almost like he has a choice. He doesn't. You know, you don't really have a choice. You, The Lord takes you when he wants. But... It's like he's aware that death is at his door. He could die at any moment. He's, he maybe he's just been beaten. Maybe he's uh, just being mindful of one of his many shipwrecks. You know, maybe he's in some sort of turmoil. He's very aware of death. Uh, I know that when my wife was going through cancer and they uh, initially told us, you know, that she could die within a year, that, that, that'll that do something to you. You know, you, you believe in Jesus. You believe in the resurrection, but when you think this could actually happen in a, in a matter of a few months, then it changes your faith. We often discuss that, me and her, about how this changed her faith to actually test it and say, is this, is, is this really what I'm hoping for? To be with Jesus, to live with Him. And Paul says, I have a desire to be with Him. In other words, I want to die. It would be better if I just died and I went on to be with Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, We are confident, yes, and well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He says, I'm confident of this. Is if I die, I'm going to be with the Lord. And sometimes I, I would rather have that happen. I'd rather just go on and be with the Lord. know this about me. If you've been uh, here at our church very long, you know I don't like to go to the hospitals. And I uh, had to go to one this week, and it, it broke my heart. I, I come out of there crying. I'm not going to call the person's name because I don't want to create undue emotion on the family that it represents, but I come out of there broken. I was I was different for two days. I don't, I don't dislike going to the hospitals because I'm lazy. I don't dislike going to hospitals because I don't care. I dislike going to hospitals because I do care. I do love people, and I don't like seeing people I love in the condition that they are in sometimes in the hospital. The point that he makes here in Romans chapter 6 is that we're going to live with Jesus, and it is to be desired. When we die, we're going to live with Him, and it is going to be desired. There is a resurrection coming in your life that is to be desired. There is something that's going to happen to you that when you die, that is to be desired, and it's better for you. It is the best thing for you in some cases. And God's going to lift you up into that place where He is. He's going to bring you to that home where He dwells, 
and he's going to fix up your old body that's been in the hospital or been broken or been hurt. Through the resurrection of Jesus, he's one day going to lift you up to live where he is, and if you have knee pain, you'll have no more knee pain. For my son who has struggled with headaches for more than two years now and still struggling, he'll have no more headaches. If you have back pain, you'll have no more back pain. There's the power of the resurrection working in you that's going to bring you to Jesus. And when he brings you to Jesus, he's going to give you a new body. And, and all these pains, I mean, if you have foot pain, I mean, I could go on and on. If you have diabetes, there'll be no more. If you have arthritis, there'll be no more. If you have back pain, there'll be no more. Why? Because you're going to be living with Jesus now. There'll not be another heart attack. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more Alzheimer's. You say, well, that's a little bit, you know, you, you, that's a little bit selfish for you to think like that. That's what Jesus is saying. Come live with me. It's going to be better for you. You'll live with him. Do we think like that? Do we live like that? The resurrection power is going to bring me one day to live with Jesus. This is going to be the best thing that ever happened to me. It's going to fix me up. I heard a story this week about a young lady who, who didn't have any legs, and she was going to the church where every Sunday before they'd start church, kind of like we do, we have announcements. They'd have everybody bow down on their knees, and they'd get on their knees and pray before church started. And she couldn't bow on her knees because she didn't have any. And she was ready to leave church, the church and change churches. I want to go somewhere where they don't make me bow on their knees all the time. And then she heard a message on the resurrection. She heard a message on getting a new body one day when you get to heaven. And she was thinking about this message that night as she lay in her bed. And she thought this. Lord, as soon as I get my new legs, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to bow. I'm going to bow. It changed her whole perspective on the, the, the thing of bowing. And then she said this. Once I bow for a little while, then I'm going to get up and I'm going to dance like David. <laughs> Remember what David did? He danced in the presence of the Lord when they brought the, the Lord's presence to Israel. I'm going to dance like David. Look, let me tell you something else. I can't dance a lick right now, but when I get my new body, you better watch out. You better watch out. I'm going to be able to dance. I can't sing a lick right now, but when I get my new body, I'm going to be able to sing. You're going to live with Jesus. That's what resurrection power does to you and me when we get saved. We know for sure that when I die, or when one person I love dies, they're going to live with Jesus, and things are going to be different, and things are going to be right with God from then on. It's why we can celebrate someone's death instead of being so defeated. I don't like preaching funerals. I don't like a lot of tell you too much what I don't like to do, okay? I'm sorry. I don't like preaching funerals. And one of the reasons is uh, many times you don't know if they're saved or not. You're never sure if they are, but some people you're more sure than others, and some people you're more sure than others if they're not. I preached a funeral one time where there was pretty certainty from all the crowd there that, that the young man was not saved. The young man. They were weeping and wailing, if you know what wailing is. Moaning and groaning. People come and laid around the altar and, and wailed for 
it was close to an hour just crying out to God because this young man had most likely died and he wasn't going to live with Jesus. What's the big deal about resurrection? It's, a, it's the power that changes the difference in, in where you go to, to live or die after you leave this world. Number seven, no more death, and also death is dead. This is in verse nine. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus being raised from the dead, he's not going to die again. That means there is no more death. And then it says in verse nine, death no longer has dominion or power or rule over him. Here's what he means. Here's what he's saying. Death is dead. <laughs> Jesus, when he went to the grave and he, he, he died on the cross, he, he died. He literally died. But because he was God, he had the power to get up from death. When he got up from death, he stripped death of all of its power. In Revelation, it talks about him taking the keys of death and hell as, as if there may be, I'm not sure, there may be actual keys of death. He he took those keys. He's like, give me the keys. You don't rule life anymore. Jesus now rules life. He, he died and he got up from the death that he had lived and died. And now he's alive again. And in so doing, he killed death. Death died that day. Life and resurrection power has now entered into your life. And that same death has been conquered in your life through Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus, by dying and rising again, destroyed death, not just in his life, but in your life, in my life. By dying, he destroyed death, and by rising, he obtained life for himself and for you and me. And this, this is a huge blow to the devil, if you know anything about the devil. The devil once had some sort of power of influence over death. Jesus even said to him in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. In other words, this is why Jesus came. He came here because he had something that he wanted to do, and it was a part of it was to destroy the devil's works. Jesus getting up from the grave was a death blow to the devil. When he killed death, he destroyed the devil. When I was a young man, I first got saved. I don't remember who gave it to me. It might have been Cindy. I don't, I don't know. Somebody gave me a T-shirt I used to wear all the time. On the front of it, it said, Jesus killed the devil. And on the back of it, it had a big picture of a cross in the hands of, of someone. And it said, because he beat him with a stick. <laughs> That's what he did. He beat the devil with a stick. He killed him when he rose from the grave. He killed his power over death. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 it says inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood he himself likewise shared in the same in other words Jesus took upon himself flesh and blood so that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death that is the devil so Jesus came and he took upon himself flesh and blood so that when he died and then he rose from the grave he would destroy the devil who has the power of death and that's what he did that's what's the big deal about resurrection. 
It's not just a difference in you being saved or not. It's a difference in everything that happens to you throughout the rest of this world and especially what happens throughout eternity after you die. Will you live with God in the newness of life forever and ever or not? The resurrection is the key to all that. I'm going to close with an application a little different today. I'm closing with application with a different passage. If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to make this quick, but if you didn't catch this, you're actually getting three messages today, okay? So, <laughs> couldn't settle it on one. We started Romans 10, and resurrection is necessary for salvation. We went to Romans 6 and talked about how the power of the resurrection gives you new life, this newness of life and getting to go and live with the Lord one day and defeating sin. And now we go to Philippians for our application, which says this, basically. Let me sum it up before we even read it. Resurrection is to be pursued. In other words, you're, you're looking forward to dying because when you die, you're going to get to live with Jesus forever. I want to just draw out of it before we even read the whole passage, the, the part I underlined there in verse 10. And this is Paul speaking. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So he's saying everything in these few verses so that he can know Jesus and the power of his resurrection in his life. And so here's what he will do to know Jesus. And the, This is Easter. Do you want to know the power? Of the, think about this. The, the power of the resurrection, the power of God that caused Jesus to come out of the grave. The power of God that saves people. That's the resurrection of power. The power of God that changed your life. The power of God that's going to make you live forever. The power of God that's going to take you to heaven to be with Him. Do you want to know that power in your life? Is it possible? Can you even know and experience that power in your life? Yes, you can. How do you know the power of the resurrection in your life? Paul tells us, beginning in verse 7 and 8, he says, I'll lose everything for it. Look at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. In other words, he says, I will lose everything to know the power of the resurrection. What do you own? What do you own? I mean, we talk about your car, your house, your land, your children. Your spouse? What do you own? What is yours? What do you claim is yours? You'll one day give it all up to know the power of the resurrection. Paul says, I'll lose everything for it. He says, I'll suffer for it. You see this in verse 10. And being found in him, having my own righteousness, which is from the law, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. He says this, I'm willing to suffer to know this power. He said it back up there in verse 8. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things. I will suffer to know this power working in my life. If you've had a season of, a season of suffering in this old world, you've experienced what Paul's describing here. You were suffering, going through pain, going through hardship, going through something that was unbearable, but the mighty power of God's resurrection was working in you or you would not have made it. That power was working in you and, and you, were, you were still okay. People go through some very difficult things. I've watched you go through difficult things. We have went through 
difficult things in the past year. How do you make it through the power of the resurrection? The life-giving power of God that's in you. Paul says, I'll suffer for it. He also says, I'll die for it in verse 10. He says, the fellowship of the suffering being conformed to his death. I'm willing to die if that's what it takes to know the power of the resurrection. And in many cases it is. I'll die for it. And then he ends by saying, my heart is set on it. Verse 11 and 12. He says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He says this. Jesus reached down from heaven one day and he took hold of me. And he said, by the power of God, you believe now from this day forward that Jesus rose from the grave. And you're like, okay. I believe it. I don't know how. I believe it. it happened to me when I was 15. God took hold of me one day. He chased me down. He grabbed me. He grabbed me. And he said, John, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose the third day. I said, okay, I believe that now, Lord. And I don't know how I believed it, but I just did. He took hold of me. And from that day that he took hold of me, not only did he save me, but he changed my life. He took away my sins. He forgave me of my sins. He put his spirit within me. But most importantly, he grabbed me for resurrection myself. In other words, he, he caused me to experience baptism, to die and to, and to lose myself and to rise again with the power of God upon my life that I'm going to live for him. And he's saying here, Paul is saying, the same way that Jesus once take, took hold of me, he says, I'm pressing on so that I can lay hold of him one day. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. I want what God wants me to have. And what God wants you to have is eternal life with Him in His house in heaven. And He says, I want that. I'm going to chase Him. I'm going to set my heart on this and I'm going to chase Him so that I can have this resurrection power operating in my life. Not just today, not just till I lay in that casket one day, but for all eternity. I want to be in the presence of the Lord. I want to be with Him. Like you say, I want it so bad. I want it so bad to be with Jesus. I'm willing to die for it. I'm willing to suffer for it. I'm willing to give up everything for it. I want it so bad to be with Jesus. To live as Christ, but to die is gain. I wish we could have somebody die and just say, glory to God. If we could see things the way God sees them and we understand with just a bit of faith what's actually happening when somebody dies... We would shout glory to God. Resurrection is to be pursued. You're searching to attain. It's what he says that I have. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus laid hold of me. And that's resurrection power. I want that for myself and I want that for you that kind of resurrection power operating in our lives. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, I pray for those who are here today that you would pour out your spirit upon them and they would experience fresh and new the, the, the reality of the resurrection. Lord, it, it grieves me that we only get to celebrate Easter once a year. I believe that every Sunday for these disciples, once they saw Jesus and put their finger in his hands and then 
hand in his side and knew that he was alive. I believe every Sunday. It's why they changed worship from Saturday to Sunday. Because now every Sunday when they gathered, it was Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday when they got together, they were remembering and reminded that Jesus is alive and he's not dead. It was something that was constant on their mind. It was fervent in their preaching. It was the reality of their life. They were willing to die for it. They were willing to suffer for it. This reality that Jesus is alive and real. And this resurrection is real. I pray, Father, that our worship service was, would be like this. Every Sunday. An awareness of the, the fact that Jesus is alive. He's no longer on the cross. He's alive. He's alive in us. Working in us. The glory of God. I pray, Father, that if there's anybody here who's depressed, discouraged, worried, or beaten down, that the power of the resurrection would fall fresh on them today and they would have a joy like they've not known in some time. Worries and doubts would be removed and fears would be dispelled by the faith that they have in the living Jesus, the Son of God. I pray that if there's somebody here, Lord, that's living in constant sin, Repenting of sin and returning to sin. Repenting of sin and returning to sin. I pray, Father, that the power of sin would have no hold on them. As they experience the resurrection power of God, they would be no longer a slave to sin. Father, let, let the power of the resurrection operate in their mind and in their life. That sin would be defeated. I pray for anyone here, Father, who may be facing death in the coming days or the coming weeks that we would not have any fear but almost an excitement saying Lord I'm ready I'm coming I'm coming Lord for the resurrection of life to live with you Father give our church that kind of faith that we can see that and believe that and, and shout glory to God glory to God Lord because you are worthy Father, thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you that he got up from the grave the third day. And he gives us power to live in this old world. Lord, we want to sing and thank you for that and praise you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?